Now go back there to the book of Hebrews. When he says, I've got many things to say to you, but they're hard to be uttered or hard to be explained because you're not on a spiritual mature level where you can understand it. But he says, we're going to lead those, um, you know, those principles of salvation and go on to mature things. And uh, this will we do if God permits. Because it's difficult for some people to, to grasp deeper truths because these, some of these things will really play havoc on your mind. Trying to understand exactly what all he's talking about. And people have got hung up just on verses 7 and 8 and 9. I mean, they're not the easiest verses in the world to even talk about. But now go back there to verse 7 of chapter 5. Who, referring to Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And obey him means to simply believe the gospel, which is to trust Christ as Savior. So that verse uh, 9 there, being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. And I believe that this whole book is really about eternal salvation. This eternal salvation is eternal security. Just hold your place right here and just look over there with me very quickly. In uh, chapter 9. Look in chapter 9. And just notice what he says about this high priest. Because of what he did. And that's why you compare it with what the Old Testament priests were like. Uh, they couldn't hold a candle to what Jesus Christ did. Theirs sacrifices never took away sin. That's why he says in chapter 10. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. So it never took away sin. But Christ's death did take away sin. If it takes it away, it doesn't have to do it again. So you look there in verse 11. But Christ being come an high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, get this, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the Holy place, having obtained what kind of a redemption? Eternal redemption. In other words, he was going to make a payment that was good forever. The payment he made, the offering that he made, the shedding of his blood for the sins of the whole world, once and for all, never has to be done again. Then look what else he says. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer... Sprinkled in the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, get this, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot. In other words, he was perfect. He had no fault, no flaws, no sin in him. So then he says here in verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, new contract, new will, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, the law, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he made a payment once and for all in order that he might give to us 
an eternal inheritance, one that cannot be taken away, a salvation that would be perfect and never can lose it. That's why as you go through and you really study chapter, the rest of 9 and chapter 10, by this one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified or made pure and holy. The whole book of Hebrews is about showing you the difference between works under the law that cannot save and comparing it with grace that gives you eternal life that you don't even deserve and don't work for. And at once you trust him, it's done. That decision I made 57 and a half years ago to trust Christ as my Savior was good for all eternity. I'd never have to do it again. That's why he says, when he talked about on that great day of the feast, Jesus stood in Christ and if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water because it's water that satisfied. Once I took that drink, I never had to take another drink. It's satisfied because that's the spring of living water. And when I trusted Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells me. And from me, I've explained the gospel to others. And so then they got some of that spring of living water. And they share it with somebody else. And it just came, it's just like a river. And we are supposed to be the spring of living water. Now, I want you to look at this verse here in verse 7 of chapter 5. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying... And tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, there is a view that people can have, and I, I won't fault either way, uh, believing that when Jesus Christ uh, was, you know, praying, uh, was he praying that God would keep him from the cross? He said, in other words, he was afraid. It's, it's almost like if that is the view, it's, it's almost like right at the very end, uh, Jesus is having a panic attack. I can't picture myself Jesus having a panic attack and that he's afraid of going to the cross. He came for that reason. He's going to die on the cross. And, and right before he gets there, he's, he's falling apart emotionally. And uh, he's, he's worried. He's scared. And he's afraid. And he's asking God, I don't want to do this. Uh, take this cup away from me. I don't want to. And it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around that. So there may be another view, but I can't prove or disprove. I can only say this is what I believe, and I'll tell you why. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, the gospel of Mark. I know y'all have a photographic memory, and you've got it all committed to memory, but just uh, humor the preacher. Just uh, go ahead and look at it anyway. All right. The book of Mark. And chapter 14. Now in Mark chapter 14, you'll notice in verse 32, he just talked to them about, you know, what Peter had said. And Peter says, though I'll be offended, I will not be offended. And he says, uh, you're going to deny me tonight <laughs> three times. But he says here in um, verse 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Now that's the garden. That's at the foot of the Mount of Olives. I've been there a number of times. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them, 
My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto what? Now, this is in the garden. This is not when he's going to be up all night and going to the cross and so forth. This is in the garden he says this. Now, is this because it could be a premature death in the garden? I don't know. But it seemed like Jesus knew the hour that he came for. And he says, uh, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down. I can call 10,000 angels and all the seven, 12 leagues. And so, so there's no reason for me to think that right at the end, he fell apart emotionally and he prayed and asked God to take that cup away from him. If there's any other way possible. Now, if he did, okay, I just misunderstand. Or is it because... He was under such pressure in the garden. That's when the angels came and ministered to him. And he had great sweat drops of blood that he was close to death in the garden. And he didn't want to die a premature death in the garden. And he was asking God because it says, and that he feared and he called upon God that he delivered him from death. Well, he didn't deliver him from the death of the cross because he died there. So it's got to be one or the other. But now, notice what else he says. Look in verse 35. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, that's the hour in which he was going through at this time. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Take this cup where he was and what he was going through. Is a possibility. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and said unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? So is this one hour, this period of time that he's talking about while he's in the garden? And so he says, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and said to them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Now this hour, is it separate from that other hour? This hour is come, and now he's talking about because now they're coming to take him that night. And that's the hour that he keeps saying, you know, the hour has come or the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. This is the hour. It's finally come. And I don't see him saying that about this hour and about going to the cross and saving him from the cross. I don't know. I have a tendency to believe there's a possibility he might have been talking about a premature death in the garden. Uh, just look at another scripture, Matthew 26. You're right here in the Gospels. Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, look in verse 36. See, what we're doing right now, this is called Bible study. Look at this verse. Now look at this verse. Now look at this verse. But look in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And said unto his disciples, Sit ye here, and while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful, very heavy. Then saith he unto them, 
My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now see, this is not at the cross. This is in the garden. This is why he says some of these things in Hebrews are hard to be understood or explained. But then in chapter 6, it does the same thing. Chapter 7, it does the same thing. And a lot of difficult scripture because it's going deeper than just, you know, reading uh, about, uh, you know, Jesus walked on the water. Because you're talking about that which is kind of like behind the scenes. Explaining about the high priest and all of this. Now, look what he says here in verse 39. Verse 39 says, And he went a little farther, fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup. Now, is it this cup referring to what's going on at this moment, this hour, that he's under such pressure? Or is it talking about the cross? Remember, whenever it gets to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, he says, For the joy that was set him, he endured the cross, because of the joy that was on the other side. It's like there was no fear there. Here he's talking about fear, and there's agony, and great sweat drops of blood, and it's like he's fighting a battle, because it's difficult for me to know, all right, Jesus Christ is coming into the world. Now, why is he coming? He was born to die. So now that he is in the world, and he is Gone through 33 and a half years. Now he's getting down to this moment. Now he came because he loved me and he wants to save me. And there is no other way. But if it's possible that to save me from doing this, then I'm asking you, Father, save me from going to the cross. That was the Father's will. Nevertheless, whatever your will. Well, he already knew the Father's will if it was just a down the cross. But something else, in other words, when I read something, I can't just let it go. I'm, I'm like a pit bull. i got to find out, is there more to this than just meets the eye? And I'm not saying I'm right, but it does give you something to chew on for a little while. And that's what you need to do once in a while. Just chew on something. And you get out your Bible and you say, I, can't, I don't know if I agree with the pastor on that or not. This is not a heaven and hell issue. But it is something that helps you to study the scriptures and wonder what it says. Uh, look what it says now down here in verse 40 where he says, what could you not watch with me one hour? Well, that's one hour. Is that the hour that he mentioned several times and about the death several times? Verse 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Because, see, by them not doing so, what was the very next testing that came up and they failed? They all forsook him. The flesh was weak. The flesh was weak. They were tired. They were weary. And they were afraid of what Jesus said. Because he said, I'm going to be betrayed this night. And the other parts of the scripture says, and they were very sorrowful. And they were heavy because of what had been said and done. Now, he says the same thing in verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. Now, is he talking about the hour that just passed or talking about what's coming up? 
Either way, there is sometimes what they call a uh, double inspiration or double um, prophecy, one near, one far. But there's not much difference in these two experiences right here. So look at one more. Uh, look in Luke 22. I don't think I've... Have I looked at Luke 22 yet? Look in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, but look in verse 39. And each one has just a little bit different uh, kind of a, a view on it. In verse 39, and he came out and went, and as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. In other words, you're going to be tested. And pray that you don't enter into the temptation to do wrong. And they forsook him. After all of them had just said they wouldn't. In verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And kneeled down and he prayed. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now is he asking God to... Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. I'm afraid to go into the cross. I'm scared now. Or is he talking about what's going on in the garden because of what he was under? I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. But now notice what else he says. In verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Why would that be necessary? There has to be a reason. And the Bible talks about twice that he was unto death. Then he says here in verse 44, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. Sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. So, it was done again. Uh, there's one more scripture that's used there. Look in the book of John chapter 18. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And um, verse 1. Because each one has just a, a, a little bit. But this one doesn't have as much in the gospel of John. Look in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, uh, where was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. And Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus says, um, what do you seek? And then as he goes down through here, then he makes a statement in verse 11. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword unto thy sheaf. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? This verse appears he's talking about what's coming. The other verses seem like what has passed. But he knew, as he says here, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? It's not the prayer here that he would... Um, if it's not your will, you know, but nevertheless, thy will be done. In other words, if the cup can pass from me. He doesn't say that here about that. He did about the other. So therefore, I believe that there is a possibility. All right, go back there to the book of 
Hebrews. And look what he says in verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So he's talking to us about a high priest, a great high priest. Someone that knows what it's like to live in a physical body upon the earth. And do you ever suffer? Do you think you have ever come close to suffering like he suffered? Do you think he felt the pain of nails being driven in his hands and his feet and bearing his side? Do you think he knows what it's like to have people turn against him, the closest ones to him? And the Bible says even his own family didn't believe him. His brothers and sisters didn't believe him. How would you like to have your nothing, your pure God? You've never wronged anyone, never did one thing wrong, and then people still not believe you. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they finally, most of them, come around. But Jesus Christ is the Lord, and he knows how we think, how we feel. And he is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. But see, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, in the book of Ephesians, it mentioned several times there in the second chapter, you were at one time without hope. Now we have access unto the Father through the Son. So we have access. We have a way of getting to Him. He mentions that also twice in that same chapter. And now, just to close, I want you to see this. Look in Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and look in uh, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. We're not going in there to make a sacrifice, but we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, we can offer them the sacrifice of praise. Our bodies are living sacrifice and so on, yes. But he says here, into the holiness. This is the same thing that's mentioned over there in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 16. We have access to the throne of grace that we may obtain help in time of need. So during our life, whatever we need from God the Father, we have access to Him. I don't have to go through Mary. I don't have to go through my wife. I don't have to go through my kids. You don't have to go through the preacher. Aren't you glad you can go straight to God yourself? You are a high priest. Not a high priest, but you are a believer priest in the Lord. Now, you'll notice in verse 12, by the blood of Christ. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. See, his body housed God. And so the presence of God was inside of that body. So because of the veil and the temple, it was rent from top to the bottom, opened up the way so we have access into the very presence of the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we can come boldly and not be afraid like, you know, can you commit too many sins to be afraid of God? Well, in this life, yes, there's a, a chastening hand of God. And he says in chapter 10, uh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But when you're seeking to go into the presence of God because of what God has done for you, you can come boldly. And that's why he says, by a new and living way, 
through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. That's why he says in verse 22, let us draw near. We can come and come into the presence. You can get as close to God as you want to get. And you don't need anybody's permission. You can talk to your heavenly father as much as you want. You can go to him and ask him for whatever you want. You may not get it, but you can ask him. And you can come boldly. You don't have to be afraid. And that's why he talks about this confidence that we have in the Lord. So anyway, I uh, thought you might be able to follow some of that. Y'all can follow all that, couldn't you? You could follow all that. If you had to, you could come right up here right now and repeat it. Right. Bob's ready to go. He's ready. All right, look up here. This is you and me. This is sin. Because of sin, we can't get in to God's presence. God will not allow sin in his presence. We can't have sin and go to heaven. They committed one sin in the garden and got kicked out just for one sin. And they hadn't killed nobody. They just told her, you know, just took some fruit. What's wrong with eating a little old fruit? And God told them not to. That's all. But God loves us, hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in a literal fire burning hell. And so the Bible says you cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. And this hand represents Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh. He came into this world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ came to the world. He had no sin. He was spotless. He took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross. He shed his own blood. And God the Father was satisfied. The word propitiation means he was satisfied. So if God is satisfied, well, why shouldn't I be? See, some people are trying to earn their way to heaven because they're not satisfied with this. God says it's free. Well, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm going to help just in case. Well, that just in case keeps you from trusting the Lord and him only. So he came back from the dead and said, the only thing that you and I have to do is believe he did it for us. So when you believe it, he gives you as a free gift eternal life, and you get to go to heaven. And you can now, as a child of God, you can go into the presence of God. And you don't have to be afraid. You can come boldly. Whatever your need may be, aren't you glad you don't have to have it, somebody else do it for you? You can talk to the Lord yourself. And God is going to work in your life to get you to the place where you need him. Sometimes he'll close the doors and sometimes he'll turn off all the lights. Sometimes he has to humble us, but he wants to hear from us. He wants us to talk. He wants us to believe and trust him for the things that we need in life. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, or if you're watching by internet, right on the screen it says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. That's the only way that you can go to heaven. It's the only thing you have to do is to trust the Lord. You can't save yourself. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. So if you will trust Christ as your Savior, God said it's Savior and give eternal life. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, we are thankful so much. You've been good to us. Thanks for meeting our need. And Father, we know there's a, a lot of people that are not here tonight because they've got other ministries they got going on. And, and we pray your blessings upon them, those that are just enjoying some time off. Give them a safe trip back. Watch over them and keep them safe. And we pray, Lord, for those that are in camp and that you'll be with them and use them and let them have some good satisfaction. Let them see some good fruit and use them in a great and mighty way. And thank you for this time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.